Welcome to episode 76 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we sat down with Justin Edmund. Before we get into the show, we are in New York this week. We are? We're going to New York this week. We're recording this from New York. We're going to New York on San Francisco. Thursday, November the 12th. If you want to hit us up, hit us up. We would like to meet up with you. We're doing a live event Friday night. Uh, more details coming on we'll our We'll have a meetup. We're hoping to have a live guest. That should be pretty rad. You can see us record an episode. It's super unexciting, but hey, you'll be there. So to follow along with that, follow us on Twitter, at Design Details FM. Before we get into the show, there are two sponsors that made this episode possible. Dropbox. Back. Hey, surprise. Guess what? Dropbox sponsored us, guys. Dropbox is the best way to work together with anyone you want, anywhere you are, with whatever files you have. They support every single file you could possibly have. They, they cover the whole gamut, the whole range of files. And you can use them now more collaboratively than you ever could before with all their new tools, paper, mailbox, carousel, all the old stuff, all the new stuff. They, they cover everything. They've got the comments right in line so you can send previews without sending a whole giant file you can comment on it. You can have discussions around it without having to use like other tools, without having to like go out of your way. You just, you comment in the preview, done. Dropbox is with you through the entire design process. They've got you when you're sketching, when you're wireframing, when you're mocking up, when you're prototyping, when you're building the product and code. They're with you every step of the way. They can support everything. They can sync it up across all the different teams, all the different pieces of your company all through the entire process, which is kind of insane. I don't think anyone else can do that. You can get what you want done easily with other people, and that is as good as it gets. So go check them out at dropbox.com. We can't thank them enough. Thank you one more time to Dropbox. Our second sponsor back again is Icon Finder. If you need icons, just go to iconfinder.com and search for whatever you need. There's over 650,000 icons in the library. They have an awesome monthly subscription plan. It starts at just nine bucks a month and it gets you access to that entire library. That's over 12,000 icon sets as well. So you can design a product with a very consistent set of icons of all different styles, types, colors, files, every icon you can imagine. It's in there. There's over 650,000 of them. These are icons you can use in commercial projects. So if you are a freelancer, these are good to go. Go make that money. And one of our favorite things about Icon Finder is that 70% of that monthly fee actually gets paid back out to the designers. Go make that money. Make that money. Yes. If you are an icon designer and you want to make money, submit your icons to Icon Finder. There are people making four to $5,000 a month selling their icons all because of this amazing service that Icon Finder's built. I need to be an icon designer. You wish you were an icon designer. Correct. Their monthly plans let you work with your entire design team. Of course, the files come in all different types. It's going to work in any software you're using, whether that's Sketch, Photoshop, or Illustrator. You can learn more by going to iconfinder.com. Sign up for Icon Finder Pro, and if you use the promo code DESIGNDETAILS, that will tell them that we sent you and get you 50% off your first month of Icon Finder Pro. So huge thanks once again to Icon Finder for making this episode possible. And with that, let's get into episode 76 with Justin Edmund. I'm Justin Edmund. I was a designer at Pinterest for four years. I was the first design hire there. Before that, I interned at Facebook and studied at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. Um, Now I'm kind of straddling the line between starting a company and freelancing, but continuing to work on 
creative tools and um, generally things that um, can kind of make people's lives richer and better. Where are you from? I'm from New York. So I grew up in New York City, bouncing between Queens and Brooklyn and going to school in Manhattan. So very much a city boy. I don't know how to drive at all. Okay. Um, never took a test, never got a license. I live and die by public transportation. Um, well, hopefully not die. But well, yeah, yeah, less dying would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so I've lived in New York, obviously, and in Pittsburgh for four years for school and here. When did you get into design? So I went to an art school. It was kind of like a performing art school. I was a vocal music major, but all of my friends were art students, like visual art, like illustration, painting students. And I had always been kind of interested in computers and like I'd hacked VBulletin and hacked WordPress and all that different stuff. But all of my friends were using DeviantArt. And for some reason, like, I think this was like the beginning of my, my, my product sense inside of me. Like, I was like, why are you all still using this? Like, all of the artists that we like have their own websites and like their HTML and they're not necessarily pretty, but like, you know, it kind of like represents them a little bit more, right? Like, it's not like this, like, this, like skin that like everyone has and like, you just kind of put your art in it. And so they're like, oh, we don't want to learn how to code. And I was like, fine, I'll do it. And then, like, it's like I learned HTML, I learned CSS. WordPress was fairly new by then. And so I was like kind of learning how to hack on that so I didn't have to build custom sites every single time. But that was kind of like my first, it wasn't my first exposure to web design, but it was my first exposure to me doing the design parts. Because before I had friends that I would be like, hey, can you like make me a design in Photoshop? And they're like, sure. And then I would like slice it up and build it. But then I was literally just like making sites like every month for someone else or like every couple of months or someone else for free or were you getting paid for free? I mean, they're my friends. They're like my close friends. Yeah. yeah. So I'd make a site for them and then I'd put it on my server and just be like, this is how you access it and this is how you update it. And for a while it was pretty fun. And then it was like, oh, I have to figure out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I was like, well, web design's okay. Um, and I apply it. The colleges that I applied to were half illustration, which I was really bad at. Um, <laughs> Aren't we all? And yeah. half web design, like not web design, but mostly like graphic design. And I was like, well, you know, like web design, I guess it like graphic design can like inform web design. Similar -ish. So, yeah, it's like similar-ish, but it was like in the early 2000s, it was like the best that you could do. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I can go to a design school and like figure the rest out. Famous last words. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I, I landed at Carnegie Mellon. None of the professors really understood web design. Like they, they were trying because they were like, this is a thing that's going to happen, but we don't really know what to do because we all like did print stuff for our entire lives. So it wasn't the Carnegie Mellon HCI course. No, I didn't do HCI. Interesting. I, that's like what most Carnegie Mellon people I've talked I to. I explicitly did. made the decision not to do HCI actually. Interesting. Why? Um, so the HCI program, which is a good program, but I'm going to go <laughs> off on it a little bit. At the time that I was in school was using... HCI stands for Human Computer Interaction. Yes. By the um, way, Brian. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. The buddy. HCI program was a lot of coming up with product ideas and making videos about them. <laughs> and not a lot of like coming up with product ideas and making products. So people would spend all this time trying to figure out like what's a good problem to solve. And then 
they would like make a really, really bad interface for it and then make a video about like some person in the world that they made up that like is the perfect fit for this product. Personas? Yeah, Just personas. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoehorn and, personas? And they would and they would build the prototypes. I don't think it was Adobe Flex. Flash? No, not, not Flash. It wasn't Flash. Uh, it was it's that weird Fireworks? It wasn't Fireworks either. It might have been Flex. Is Flex like a Is Flex a thing? I've I never think heard it's of Flex. A thing. Um it was some Adobe product that like let you make really bad prototypes where people would like kind of try to wire this stuff up and it was like a lot of code, but you had like cog sci majors and design majors and some CS majors, but not a whole ton. But all in all, it was just terrible from my point of view. Cause I was like, if I'm going to design the product, I want to make the product. Like I don't have to like make a persona. Like I have to make the product and then see if it works. And the way that Carnegie Mellon works is HCI for undergrads is a double major. So if you do HCI, you have to do all of your design coursework, whatever design discipline you're in. Um, Carnegie Mellon has communication design, which is graphic design and industrial design. And then you do HCI and that takes up all of your electives. You literally can't take any other course. And I was like, that's stupid. I want to take other courses. And like, I can build a better major than this. So I did. <laughs> and so what I did was instead of doing HCI, I just took all of the intro to CS courses and just learned how to like code better that way. And, you know, I took some other courses and like that computational music thing that was like absolute nightmare, literally a nightmare every week. Explain computational music. You told, <laughs> us, about, you told us about this beforehand, but got to have the reference in there for other people. So I in, in my second semester of my senior year, I decided to take this course called Introdu uh, Introduction to Computational Music. And I was like, all right, that sounds cool. Like, it's going to be like chiptunes and making game music and all this cool stuff. And it's going to be awesome. Like, I'm totally going to make a game at some point And like, I'm going to need to know how to, like, make the music. I went to school and I went I was a vocal mu major. So, like, I have all the music theory. And, and I walk in. Theory was my least favorite course. <laughs> oh, I actually, I love. Still it. bums me out. I loved it, but I walk into this computational music course, and it's literally the most demonic sounding thing I've ever heard in my life. It's just like literally computers making music, like without an actual musician composing things, and it's just like, what's going on? Skrillex was your teacher. <laughs> Just kidding. I, that, that, I don't mind Skrillex. That, that might have been better. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I had to do it because I needed the credits. And I, I may or may not have actually gone to a lot of the classes, <laughs> but I, I got a grade that let me graduate. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Were you guys good students? I was an okay student. So I slept through every course. Like I did that too. I didn't go to class. I did that too. Um, but what I found out, we actually went on a trip to some town, some town in the middle of nowhere. I don't remember where it might've been Chicago, which isn't in the middle of nowhere. That's basically <laughs> the middle of nowhere. But we went on some design, uh, CM, the CMU design school goes on design trips to different cities every year. And mm -hmm. the AIG and IDSA chapters will organize the trips and like kind of reach out to companies in that city to like, be like, Hey, like we're a group of traveling students. Can you come and talk to us for an hour? And I went to some place and it was some print shop and they were like, yeah, like, honestly, we don't give a fuck about your grades as long as you make cool shit. And like something flipped in my head and I was like, wait, whoa, <laughs> my grades don't matter. It's like, 
all I have to do is make cool shit. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and so after that point, all of it was really like, do I care about this? Is this course a design course? Yes or no. If yes, cool. You got to go to class. You got to do the work. You've got to do a good job. If no, do you care about this course? Or are you doing it for credits? If you care about it, you got to do the work. You should go to class as often as you can, but your design work comes first. If I'm doing it for credits, then I just have to pass, right? Like literally it's the last thing in my mind. So there were courses where I would just not go. The trippy thing about me is that I don't have to actually like read material to test well. I do test really well. Well, yeah. aren't you just lucky, <laughs> Justin? There was uh, on, I hope none of the professors hear this, but... Uh, Actually, we the, have a really high I bet they're going to come back and fail Carnegie you. <laughs> professors. So our art history final, I literally didn't go to class, never opened the book. Someone had made like a 10-page study guide, and I found out about it maybe 30 minutes before the test, got it read it and i think i got like a b on the final or something oh which was like most of the uh most of what was weighted for the class grade so i think i had to be in that class like i literally never went to class like probably like three or four times i'm immensely jealous of your ability <laughs> to do that i mean hey we don't need that skill anymore <laughs> is art history a skill dude art well, history was my favorite class well no not art history but we don't we don't <laughs> we don't need to cram yeah for arbitrary like yeah tests it's, it's sort on of our knowledge it's a flawed system right yeah yeah were you making stuff while you were going to school or was it like outside of class your own projects oh yeah that's own? all i was doing like what? Um, what were you working? Like on? I didn't go to I didn't go to parties. I went to maybe five parties through all of college. Most of my time was in my dorm room hacking on stuff. Solo or with other people that solo. Interesting. Yeah. The main thing that I was working on was this product that I called Visually before Visually, which is now an actual product, and they actually had <laughs> they were squatting the domain name that I wanted. So mine had a lot of dots in it, and theirs is just visual.ly because mm. Fuck them. Um, <laughs> was it viz.ual.ly? It was vi.sual.ly. That sucks, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like years before they launched, too. It was really bad. What was um, it? So visually, it was essentially Pinterest. And it was because I couldn't get a found invite, right? Which is kind of like how all of those things started. Um, and I was like, I want to save cool shit. And so I built this thing. And one of my friends was like, this is cool. You should keep working on this. So I kept working on it. And then when my other friend was like, cool, like if you can make this into a product, uh, by the time I come back to Carnegie Mellon, then I will get you an internship at Facebook. So I was like, cool. Okay, I can do that. So I did that. And I got an internship at Facebook. And I met Evan Sharp, who was working there at the time. And he's the co-founder of Pinterest. And we kind of commiserate. Not commiserated. Is commiserated the right word? We. I don't know where you're going with it, so I can't <laughs> tell you. We'll leave that up to you. <laughs> well, we... Change the story to fit it, man. <laughs> <laughs> we bonded over the fact that we were essentially working on the same thing. So he was moonlighting Pinterest at the time, um, which was kind of a thing like that his, his friends were doing as a company, but he was still working at Facebook, but he had started it with them, like doing the design work. And so we talked about all of the other like pinterest like things that were popping up here and there while we were working on it like dropular and um we didn't really talk about we heart it because we heart it wasn't really worth talking about but there's another one that someone was working on that was like oh this one's really cool 
but that's essentially why I got the job at Pinterest was because I had worked on Pinterest. You'd already for built like, Pinterest. Yeah, I'd already built it and I'd worked on it for like a year and a half. So I knew. And you worked alongside the co-founder. and Right, yeah. Okay. Um, but that's, I mean, that's the most notable thing that I built while I was in school. I'm sure that there's tons of other things that literally sure. are just like lost in time. But um, I spent a lot of time working on that. Um, I also spent a decent amount of time working on what currently I call foundation, which is like my portfolio um, slash documentation engine. I'm now Your CMS? My CMS. It is, I, I saw that in your footer today. It's really just a CMS. <laughs> okay. You have a link to the admin in the lower right corner. Yeah. Is that just for you? It's just for me. That was a really unique piece. Like, no, everyone tries to like hide it as much as possible. Like, <laughs> it's right there in his footer. That's yeah, interesting. No, it's just for me. It makes it real easy if I'm like showing people <laughs> the admin panel. I need to log in real quick. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, foundation essentially started because really it's the same problem as like my, my high school thing, right? Where like, here's a bunch of artists that don't really know how to code. They don't really know how to make websites. All website builders suck, right? Like if you look at like Carbon, you look at uh, Cargo, which at the time was better, but now it was pretty great at one point. Yeah. At one point it was really great, but now it's still just a little bit outdated. Squarespace is a lot better, I think, but there wasn't really a tool for artists and designers and people that make things to kind of like make a website, but also be able to make that website their own in a way that was, went beyond like your basic, like I'm going to like buy this theme and like slap it on. Like, how do you actually let someone that doesn't know how to code actually, like, influence what a website looks like beyond just the themes and, like, things that someone else has made to suit their tastes? So I did a lot of iterations on that. And by the end of my senior year, I had a, I guess, a, a it was a product. It was a bad product, but it was, <laughs> it was a product. Um, and, like, my whole deal was, like, going full Feltron making it like you logged everything about this. Full Feltron. Full oh my Feltron, God. like full Feltron. It's ahead. sad he's done, right? Yeah, it is Nicholas sad that Felton, he's done. Yeah. Yeah, um, nice. But you literally logged every single piece of, in, or as much about this product as you wanted to, or as little as you wanted to. And the idea was that it didn't really matter what kind of weird niche you were in because it, the, the product wouldn't prescribe you to be a web designer or mm -hmm. a graphic designer. You mm -hmm. could essentially pick what your foundation is, right? Like what your artistic foundation is and kind of like pick and choose the fields that kind of apply to you. So if you are doing some weird stuff around computation and fashion, you can log what programming languages you used, but also what fabrics you used in the final product and then say, cool, like I'm going to make a lot of products like or a lot of projects like this. So I want to make this essentially a preset that I can mm -hmm. come back to sure. time after time again when I'm like logging the things that I'm making. So at the time, I thought that was super cool. It took me about a year to realize that no one wants to log things like me and Feltron do. <laughs> so hey, to I, an insane degree. To an insane. Do you guys so, ever use Reporter? I used it a little bit, but it was just too much. I used it for a long time. Really? And then I exported the spreadsheet, and it was the most, like, <laughs> I loved seeing the patterns. Like, so good. I need all passive data tracking. I can't yeah, do it. Yeah, I need, I need it passive as well. It's, like, always untimely when it asks. And, like, 
So you're saying time, you're lazy. I'm very I'm lazy, lazy, and yeah, I think data trackers are becoming aware of that and becoming better at knowing how. Well, I mean, lazy I think that are. it's. I think that it's also like whether or not you're a very habitual person, too, right? Like, I'm not a habitual person. I don't wake up and do the same thing every day, so it's very hard for me to get into habits like that. So, what do you guys um, use for data trackers now? I don't. Don't. Okay. <laughs> I have most stuff in HealthKit turned on. Okay. Interesting. Um, and then I got the like. I know this is so dumb, but I got the smart scale. Because yeah, that is dumb. Mm. No, I'm just kidding. Is that Withings? <laughs> is it the dumb. Withings one? Is it Withings or Withings? Or I don't care. I, don't care. I, I call it Withings. I thought about and getting the Fitbit Aria. So I use Apple Watch Activity, which mm. is similar to HealthKit kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, the scale is actually kind of nice. I use it for like maybe six months. Right now the battery is dead and I, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm actually scared to open up the back because I know it's not going to be a double A battery, which means I'm going to have to like <laughs> take a picture and like go to Walgreens and like point at it behind the counter. Like that's the one I want. Just like, I don't care enough. <laughs> like I need to go to the, I know I need to go to the gym. Like I don't need the scale to tell me that. <laughs> have you guys seen the vessel? Yeah. 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 Did you, guys- Did you pre-order it? No. I ordered it day one. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, They'd send us a, a message like two months later or something like that. They're like, you ordered so early. We're going to give you a special one. It's like black and has a gold bottom. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, what? And it has your name engraved in it. What? Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I've, I was like, this is a ridiculous thing that I'm probably never going to use. But it was like a hundred <laughs> bucks. And I was like, this seems cool. I have a weird relationship with like smart objects. Like I thought the vessel was cool. I thought that the June oven was cool. And then I stepped back and I was just like, I've got a lot of cups and I've got a toaster oven. So I, I, don't, I don't need this stuff. See, I drink a lot of coffee and I'm always like okay. wanting to like quantify my caffeine intake and like my alcohol intake and things like that. Right, right, right. See how well hydrated I am versus these other things that like are super dehydrating. I don't know. It's something I like to quantify. Yeah. Here's what I don't. I love observing myself. Is that, <laughs> I don't know if that's egotistical or like what? Well, I mean, it's, no, it's your it's your body. I think it's important to know about it. Yeah. But I just don't know. Like even what you're saying with the scale is like is having the data enough? It sounds like it's doesn't really influence your your particular behavior. Right. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, like the the data is interesting, but at the end of the day, the thing that makes you take action isn't at least for me. It's not the data. It's just like there is something that I have to do. Like I should do that yeah um and the data just makes it more interesting but it doesn't make me do anything right yeah i think there's probably like that approach and i imagine people that are like the opposite right yeah there's totally totally people that are motivated solely by the fact Mm -hmm. that they can have that data because if there wasn't that stuff wouldn't exist right well well, that's not necessarily <laughs> true. <laughs> Welcome to San Francisco. Right. Yeah. I just don't know how much I this forgot is for like. a second where we were. Like, it feels like we're just like in a room and we could literally be anywhere. We are in a room. <laughs> um, I'm curious about what Carnegie Mellon, the design program, did for you as a, as a designer in terms of getting you prepared to intern at Facebook, to build Pinterest. If anything. Or was it your side projects? Like, where do you think you, and I don't know, maybe it's it's hard to say this without, you know, tinted glasses looking back, but like, where do you think you actually got the skills that you have now? I think that, so I think that part of a lot of this stuff is actually quite intrinsic, as is probably evident by my Twitter rant today. I am much I more it. of a product as, oh, it, it's, it's, Brief recap. it's real. 
Um, I don't know. I consider myself more of like a product designer than on the product designer end of things and like the visual designer end Mm -hmm. of things. And by that, I mean like I think about products more than I think about how products look. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more about how they work and why they so work like the way that they do. Experiency stuff, experiency stuff, yeah. Experience ish, um, experience ish, but not experience even, adjacent. But <laughs> <laughs> sure, <laughs> but like if I were organized, I could probably be a PM. I'm not organized, so I can't. But um, <laughs> that's what we all aspire to is PM. <laughs> I product, know my flaw. I product refuse. managership. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse but, to address um, my flaw. I think that the thing that CMU taught me more than anything was the way to think about, like a way to think about products that let me make them better. Um, and also kind of gave me the discipline to work on my own things, right? Like it's all about, for me at least, the design process. And I think that CMU gave me a good starting point on this is a good process to start with. Um, for me, the way that I learn things, it's like, cool, there's this cool thing that I want to know how to do. How do other people do it? Then I look at how a bunch of people do it. Then I'm like, cool, well, this person did this thing and that makes sense. And this person did this thing and that makes sense. So if I take those two things and put them together, maybe I can do something that is that will net me a good result. And that also is like repeatable. Um, it's and so, interesting because you say you're not organized, but you're very f- systematic and very like, systematic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that what CMU did for me was it kind of showed me, okay, this is how a designer might think about solving this problem. And there's literally a million ways that you can solve any given problem. The program there kind of teaches you how to like navigate the different paths and whatnot. Um, and like when to kind of say, this is it. And when to say, no, this isn't good enough and how to talk about your work, which is actually really, really important. Actually, probably one of the most important things. Can you share more about that? Like, what what are some of the, the things? Um, I think that, I mean, I'm not a naturally, like, very social or articulate person. And so it's, I think that in the beginning, it was probably very difficult for me to really adequately talk about my work and what I was thinking about when I made it. And I, I definitely encounter a lot of designers here that just don't know how to talk about their work, but it's really important. It's really um, hard. It's really, really hard. But at CMU, you're literally defending your shit every single day, right? Like multiple times a day because you've got critiques. You've got critiques at least once a week across two, three, maybe four design classes. So you're always having to think about why you're doing what you're doing because someone's going to call you out on it. It's going to be your professor. It's going to be that kid you don't like, or it's going to be the girl that you like. Like it's going to be someone you're going to have to defend yourself. Right. And so I think that, and this actually kind of rolls a lot back into foundation a lot, talking about your work and thinking about your work is really important for a designer. And I don't think that enough designers actually do that. Right. Like they make a thing and they're like, this is the thing that I made. And I made it because of reasons, but I don't necessarily know how to tell you what those reasons are. I found that um, writing is really helpful for that specifically. And that is it's why really fa- hard to do. That is why foundation exists because foundation now, instead of being like all of this, like Feltron documentation stuff is much more focused around like, write about your work. What did you do? Um, and there's all sorts of other problems in telling people to write about their work. But the, the goal of it, was to essentially get people to think about their work so that they could figure out how to write about their work 
once they write about their work, there's all sorts of magical things that happen, like they understand themselves better, they understand their process better, they understand the problem better, they now have an artifact that they can show to other people and get jobs. But really, the most important part about not even just foundation, but making a portfolio and the thing that I'm really sad about, like in this dribble generation of people just being like, oh, yeah, just go to my dribble profile is like, you don't write about your work like you don't know what you did. Like you literally made this thing, you put it on the Internet. People are like, oh, yeah, this is sexy. And then like you moved on to the next thing. But that doesn't make you a better designer and it's never going to make you a better designer. And like you can do the repetition thing and you can get better at your work by like doing the visual design or the product design, whatever it is that you do over and over and over again, but you're never going to, I don't think, and I, I can be black and white about things like this, but like you're never going to really like conceptually understand what you're doing and why the things you're doing are either good or bad or like be able to even like have those conflicts in your, in your mind about like, this is, this is the greater meaning behind this work. Because I think that like, like, for example, um, Carnegie Mellon has uh, these, they call it confluence, where every year, it's essentially a job fair. Every year, a bunch of employers come to Pittsburgh, get in a room, try to find designers. And I noticed that every year, like in the beginning, I was terrible. By the end, I was really good at talking about my work. But even then, talking to employers in this really chaotic environment and like having that conversation with them and having the back and forth with them... I was still learning aspects about the projects that I was making that I hadn't even thought about. Yeah. And it was just like, holy crap, like there's this entirely different thing over here that I can go and do that might be better than what I thought of. But being able to get there comes with being able to communicate about the work that you're doing and like have that basic understanding, but being able to communicate that very concisely out to other people, whoever those people are. It could be some dude on the street. It could be someone who wants to hire you. It could be your professor. It could be anyone. Stakeholders. Yeah, stakeholders. As they Constituents. say. Constituents. One of the things that really irks me is that, like, there's this huge movement around, like, oh, yeah, like, portfolios are garbage. Like, you don't need them. Like, there's all these other things that you can, like, put your work on and, like, employers are looking at them. And it's, like, that's cool. And, like, that's actually good advice. Like, there are people looking at all of these channels because it's much easier to find designers on them. But the critical mistake that I think designers and pretty much anyone that kind of like has to compile their work to showcase make is that the portfolio is for other people where the portfolio is really or should be first and foremost for you. And through that, you become a better designer, artist, illustrator, whatever it is that you do. But you also kind of have this artifact to show for it. But without that kind of like really rigorous introspection, I think that there's a level of um, kind of depth and detail about your work that it's really hard to get otherwise. Um, I'm biased because I don't know how you might get there otherwise. There totally could be some other method of getting there, but I don't know it and I haven't seen it yet, which makes it hard. And that's also why, you know, like critique as a formal function in a design team is critically important in my point of view because like there's not really like sure you can post stuff on the internet and like have a site where like you post all of your stuff like pixel cloud um or wake and like people can go and comment on the stuff but it's not the same thing as like having someone in your face talking about um talking about the work that you're doing mm -hmm. and like having that conversation face to face not having like 
the 30 minutes to kind of ponder what this person said and like come up with the perfect response. Cause I mean like your users aren't you're, like, you're not gonna have 30 minutes to respond to your users, right? Like you've, you've got to have the right thing um, or at least something close to the right thing, something that you're proud of or confident in. I'm curious how tangential to that, like how does that influence your design process as you're actually working through building a product? Like- yeah, you mentioned process a lot. Do you have a specific one? It, it changes depending on the product. Something that I experimented with at Pinterest a lot um, was kind of like this almost rapid feedback cycle where, what's a good example? So when we were working on Rich Pins, which is essentially the, the product that lets us pull in data from other websites that your pin comes from um, and kind of give you rich metadata about something. So like if it's a product, it'll uh, pull in like whether or not it's available and the price. If it's a place, it'll pull in like the address and the phone number. If it's a movie, it'll pull in the cast and the rating and maybe a synopsis. I'm working on that product and... Um, I kind of got roped into it. it. The team had been working on it for a while before, and I was just like, I need to make sense of this thing. Um, the things that you're saying, the things that you're doing, the thing that this person is saying, the thing that the co-founder is saying, they're all different things, but we need to be on the same page. So thought about it for a while, and I was in a really late meeting. It was like 7 or 8 p.m., and I was like, why am I in this meeting? And I was totally not paying attention, and I was like, that's it. I got it. And so I spent the next two days running around San Francisco, buying catalogs and magazines from all these different stores. I brought them back. I had a pile of mag, like maybe two piles of magazines, like this high, like maybe like two feet high. What I did was I was like, all right, what this product is, is essentially catalogs. Like what does it did? Like what does a good digital catalog look like? Um, Like you can say like, oh, it's an e-commerce site. And it's like, no, that's too detailed. That's too much information. Like the the function of a catalog is like a bite-sized snippet that's enough to get you interested so that you call the number, go to the website and learn more and buy it, right? And so I essentially like formulate it like what is the like what are the priorities of the project right now? And the first priority was getting people on the same page because I think that usually when people aren't on the same page that falls on the designer as like you have to figure out like all of these different things and no one's going to be happy unless their idea is addressed. But for a designer, that's really hard, right? Like it's really hard having to deal with like um, opinions from every single direction possible. And so I was like, okay, cool. First I have to get everyone on the same page. So I came up with some exercises, got the team together and I was like, cool. I've got a bunch of magazines here. There's all sorts. I had furniture magazines. I had furniture uh, catalogs, I had cooking magazines, I had prod- like general product catalogs, um, brochures, all sorts of stuff. The first thing that you're going to do is just look through. We're going to look through for like 10, 15 minutes. Don't, don't worry about doing anything. But when you find something that actually catches your eye because you pick something that's relevant to you, make a note of it and write down on a post-it note, what is the thing that caught your eye? And then when we're done with that, what we did was we went back and we cut out those pieces of the catalog or the magazine. We kind of presented it and like, these are the things that caught my eye. This is why I'm interested in this. And then I went and I said, cool, like take that cut out and cut out each of the individual pieces of information and order them um, in terms of what was the most important thing for you? What's the least important thing for you? So we did that. People pasted it up on a piece of paper and I was like, cool, this is a pin. You just ordered the information that we're going to put on these rich pins um, because it's literally the same shit. 
right? Like we're going to be dealing with furniture. We're going to be dealing with cooking. We're going to be dealing with random products. We're going to be dealing with movies. You literally just design this thing. My job is to figure out what like the best way to order these things are. That is my job. <laughs> and after that, like I, there, there are some other parts to it too. I, I honestly don't remember. It was like two years ago, but um, after that, everyone was on the same page. Everyone knew exactly what the thing that we were building was. was. So then I was like, wait a second, this thing could actually help inform our design, like our actual, actual design process as well if we do it with real users. So luckily we had a user research team of one at that point. So um, as most user research teams are. Yeah. Um, and people so, have user research teams yeah, man. <laughs> or that they're amazing. Um, so our, our head of user research, then only user researcher, Gabe Trionfi from Facebook, um, got together a bunch of pinners and we did a really big session where wait, are pinners the users or the pin- people inside Pinterest? Pinners are users. Great question. What are, that's, pin- that's a- what are Pinterest team members? Pin employees, but I don't like that name, so I just call them Pinterest employees. Oh, <laughs> pin employees. Yeah, it's 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 regrettable. All right, so you, get some, <laughs> you got some but, user. But research. yeah, we 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 had users come in, and it was kind of like a mix of people that had actually done things on Pinterest, quote unquote, where they actually had like found a pin and like either made it or bought it or whatever, and like people that hadn't, mm-hmm. um, and people that were power users and people that weren't power users. It was actually a really big study and we went through mostly the same exercises like we had them go through the magazines we had them cut stuff out we had them order things um and then we also added a step where we had printed out either one of their pins randomly if they hadn't ever done anything or the pin that they said they had made or bought and we had them talk about why they decided to do that thing or what would have made that them do that thing and kind of like cut that out and reorganize it as well and see if they matched Um, And I also had done preliminary designs at that point. So based off of the first set of um, exercises that we did. And so I printed them out real big and had people walk around and like look at them and like compare them and say like, is this something that you would find useful? Because that was kind of the thing that we were going for. We wanted to make pins more useful. Um, And it's like, is this useful? If so, why? If so, if not, why not? And like, let's talk about that more. And, you know, from there, I kind of went through, like, the typical, like, sketch design, sketch design kind of, like, cycle where, um, and and crit, obviously, where I kind of, like, went back and forth between all of those different Sketch spaces. on paper, not, like, on, sketch On paper. App. I don't use sketch. Yeah. You monster. No. Photoshop's the way to go. Hey, man, I didn't have to deal with sketch 3.4. Oh, that was a thing. <laughs> That's hurtful. You take it back. <laughs> Photoshop's worked for me for like several years now. Do you see 2015 even? Yeah. I've never had a problem. That seems like a lie. <laughs> Skeptical Not. eyes from Bryn. I mean, they change things from time to time, but they typically don't do things in a destructive way, like make all of your text like, <laughs> show up in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the irony. Um, I digress. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sketching on paper, yeah. going to actual designs, critiquing, going back to the beginning. But I, I repeated that for placements. Placements was fun because I spent maybe a month and a half not using a computer. I literally drew 
all of the mock-ups that I made and was like, this is what we're going to do. And then it wasn't until like maybe six weeks later that I actually put them into the computer and like made actual mock-ups. But it was actually kind of fun just because sketching is fun. Uh-huh. And, and, and also just like you didn't have to do it like there's a whole bunch of stuff that's a lot harder on the computer and there's a whole bunch of stuff that's a lot harder on paper and for placement specifically, like showing the transition and the relationship between pretty much entirely new UI was a lot easier on paper than it was on a computer, like dealing with like people's like issues with like, is this a perfect mock because I'm looking at something that's digital? And it's like, no, it's not. It's, it's essentially a digital sketch. That's so irritating. Um, yeah, exactly. So in, in that particular case, it actually turned out to be better to just sketch things out because people were able to internalize that this was just an idea and a potential direction. And it wasn't anything final. Like there wasn't like fright about like, is this what we were building? And it's like, no, I've been working on this for like a month. My, my process is generally that, uh, like, learn as much as you can test as much as you can and then make something right. Like I know that there's a lot of people that I've worked with that like make stuff and then test it later. And then if they have time, fix it. But I think that like doing a lot of that stuff up front, and it depends on the product. Sometimes it's not as, uh, sometimes it's not really as valuable to do that stuff up front, but if you learn as much as you can, you're going to make a more informed product in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, then you want to learn at the end so that you can make an even more informed product for 1.1, mm-hmm. right? That, I mean, for me, that works, right? Like, for me, I'm the kind of person that likes to take in as much as I can and then make a decision once I've kind of, like, evaluated all of my possible options. Like I literally will sit down and say, like, if I build it this way, this will happen and this will happen and this will happen and then I'll get a bad result. It's like, cool, that's bad. If I build it this way, this will happen and this will happen and this will happen and I get a kind of bad result, but it might be a little bit better than this. Or it's like, actually, Mm -hmm. no, this is a bad result too, which means that this one's still on the table and I literally will just sit and like people will be like, are you doing anything? And I'm like, yeah. Like I'm literally just like comparing each potential thing in my head to each other until I kind of find like, this is the right answer. And then sometimes I don't have find the right answer. And that's when I go back and like, I try to like do more research or talk to more people or look at more other apps. Concept and... deathmatch. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's exactly what it is. Wireframe battle Royale. <laughs> Here's what I'm curious about is, uh, how did that change evolve from early days, Pinterest to when you had a team and like a little more flexibility in time, to actually do that what was the difference early days pinterest i just did stuff yeah yeah uh-huh. <laughs> like there wasn't really i mean there was a little bit of flexibility um like evan was good about being able to like make time for me to like explore stuff but there was also like the urgency of we need to ship this thing another thing was early days pinterest we were struggling a lot with like just keeping the site up under demand right so that meant that there weren't necessarily always engineers like on call waiting to build stuff. And that was great for me as a designer because it gave me time to like, Oh, the site's down. I can finally work. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. Exactly. But the reality, it was that like, there are lots of stuff. There are lots of things that we wanted to build, but we didn't necessarily have the resources or the time to build it at any given time. So early on, we were really able to like build up. I wouldn't say that we had like, 
mock-ups just like ready to go but we had like ideas and like concepts for where we wanted the product to go in our head so we didn't have to do so much of that like on the fly comparative thinking like is this the best thing that we can do because we'd been essentially subconsciously thinking about it for months when it came time to actually do it which made things a little bit easier and then you know as tech companies do you hire a shit ton of engineers and all of a sudden you're design locked <laughs> And design is the number one blocking resource. And you're just like, fuck, I've got to, I got to, I got to do something as quick as I can. I love that bet that one designer can keep up with like 30 engineers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't work. The ideal ratio is one to eight, but, um, wait, wait, wait. where'd you get that number? Um, lots of design teams. Okay. Testing. Okay. One um, to eight. I know. Yeah. I know that we try for one to eight. I think Uber also tries for like around one to eight. One to ten is doable. Anything more than that is just like suicide for the designers. Like it's too much work, which makes sense. I think. Like if you think of like how many engineers are typically on a, a given product team, it's like eight is probably make maybe one and a half projects at any given time. Um, ten is probably definitely two projects. Anything more than that, it is just like I have no time to do anything anymore. At Pinterest, we've kind of been at all spots. Like we started out being like totally okay. Um, and then it was like, oh, we should probably hire another designer. And then it was like, we need more designers. And that was, you know, the majority of my time at Pinterest. And then towards the end, um, we definitely needed more designers, but there was, I wouldn't say less urgency, but as, as an individual contributor, I think that you felt it a little bit less, um, day to day, depending on what you did. But if it's one to 10, does that make you a 10 X designer? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I wish. <God. laughs> I've oh boy, Pinterest. <laughs> I think Pinterest has a great reputation in among consumers and like designers as being a beautiful product. I'm curious how you and the team collectively like came up with I don't know as a, a philosophy or like an idea about how you design products at Pinterest. Um, was there any sort of high level discussion like that that ever occurred, or did it just kind of um, don't suck <laughs> a lot of <laughs> surprisingly a lot of it is that don't suck i mean i think that it's a little bit of both evan really really cares about like the quality of the product and the quality of the design work and so a lot of it was just him pushing himself and pushing other people on the team to like have this really high quality bar um it also comes from like the people that we chose to hire right like we at least early on we, we we definitely wanted generalists there are lots of people that i was like no we shouldn't hire that person they're not going to be able to do this work you were the first hire mm -hmm. so i assume you were pretty instrumental in building out the design team yeah i guess so <laughs> where, where you were, could say that <laughs> where where did you aim the first hires and how did that work out for you did you um, aim for efficiency or like big talent like big picture kind of things my personal aim was for i would say cohesion and efficiency and by cohesion i mean someone that understands the product right because like you can hire the best designer in the valley but if they don't understand the value of pinterest they're useless they're not going to be able to do anything right they'll make they'll make pretty pixels they'll make a product or two but it's not going to like i think that a lot of pinterest success as a product has been in our ability to kind of like take some tongs and like kind of like put them around the soul of the product and just kind of carry it around like 
a piece of uranium, right? Like if you disturb it too much, it's going to break. It's going to break. Like it's going to be like a big fallout. You gotta have someone who really gives a shit about uranium. <laughs> um, and so a lot of it was just like when we weren't sure how things would affect like that core of the product, we just wouldn't do them. And when we were certain that something was going to be good, we would really vigorously just like have arguments over whether or not it was going to like really affect the core of the product, like secret boards, which I worked on, um, essentially private boards, letting pin things that other people can't see. Those are so, those are my first introduction to the product. Yeah. I mean, it was a thing that people wanted for years. They wanted it when I joined, they wanted it before I joined, but we didn't build it because we just, we couldn't decide whether or not it was going to cannibalize the product because Pinterest only works when people share with other people. It sounds like so, a negative growth move. Right, exactly. And so we were like, we need growth, but we also want people to be happy and we understand that there's a product need for this, but it could completely cannibalize the entire ecosystem. Then you're a bookmarking system. Right, exactly. Um, and that doesn't really work out that well. So we deliberated for months without it being an official product and then we deliberated for months with it being an official product once we decided we had to do something was there wait what can you not gloss over like when it became something like how did that decision end up being made i mean so it was always at the top of our um queue for like number one user requested features so you had mm-hmm. like a zendesk or whatever mm-hmm. and like people would like vote on the things that they wanted it was always secret boards people emailed in it was always secret boards And so, I mean, I don't think I was in the meeting, but at one point someone decided probably Ben, the CEO or Tim, the head of product, were just probably just like, we're going to build this thing. And we decided to launch it around Christmas so we could say, hey, like for the Christmas season, we're giving you this gift of being able to like plan like secret gifts for your friends and family. So like you can pin things and save ideas, but they don't have to know. Um... And we were like, cool, we're going to launch it around Christmas. Like if it ends up like negatively affecting numbers, we can just pull it back after Christmas. Um, And we're only giving people three so they can't make too many and just like never pin publicly again. So you had backup plans. So we had we had several backup plans. So the first one was the Christmas thing. The second one was the three boards thing. So Christmas came and gone. Numbers were fine. So we were like, all right, we'll keep it around. Multiple hedges. Um, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then maybe a few months, maybe a year passed by. Um, we had we had it at three, then we made it four, and like nothing changed. We were like, cool. And then we just made it unlimited. But and like even down to the name secret boards, which I don't remember if I came up with or a writer came up with, but regardless, we were like, we don't want to call it private boards because if you use the P word, people are going to freak out if anything ever goes wrong ever again. The like, P word. The privacy word. Yeah. No, I like that. Careful. <laughs> Do not say that Don't word. Say that word. Don't talk about my privates. Uh, <laughs> um, so we made the conscious decision to call it a secret board because the whole idea for the product was to, you know, like you're, you're keeping this thing a secret. Like it's like we joked around. It's my secret baby. I'm not telling anyone I'm pregnant or like my wedding ideas or like my friend or my daughter at my son's birthday party that I don't want anyone to know what it's going to be like or I'm an architect and I'm designing this person's home like all these are all things that sure they're they're quote-unquote private things but 
if you think about like the actual like what those words mean, like they're not private because private things are kind of private forever, but secrets are things that inherently become public at some they're point. They're ephemeral. They're ephemeral. Like, yeah, they're ephemerally private. Yeah. So we called it secret boards because we wanted to imply that the thing that you use these boards for are things that eventually are going to become public knowledge. And that's why limiting it to three worked for so long because people would use it for one of those use cases. And then it was a one-way operation. So when you made it public, you couldn't make it private again. So when the day came, you're like, cool, that event happened. That thing is now, like, everyone's seen it. I make this thing public, and um, that's it, right? Like, I get another board back. Everyone can see this thing. The secret's out. It's done. So that, that was my introduction to Pinterest. I was working at a wedding invitation company. Really? And we were designing our products <laughs> using Pinterest boards. Interesting. Secret Pinterest boards. Yeah. Whoa. That's awesome. <laughs> it was pretty like i was like i don't know what i'd use pinterest for i've heard that it's like something a bunch of women use like i didn't know what it was supposed to be right i saw a few companies were like pinterest for men and i'm like why not pinterest being men <laughs> like yeah that, that, that was my reaction the whole time but um but i mean like in that way like that's that kind of like more than almost any other product i think that we worked on while i was there kind of epitomizes how crucial the core of the product was to us. And like, even in things that people really wanted, like making sure that it was a good idea by all means possible. And like, if we had to do it, like making sure that we could back out of it because like, there's really no going back, right? Like once you have a negative reputation with users, like it's much easier to like ruin your reputation than it is to build it back as you probably know <laughs> excuse me <laughs> with with uh, uh i kid i kid but yeah so it and you know luckily like we have a really good community team also that's always like they're literally the front line of making sure that all this stuff uh goes well um and making sure that users feel taken care of and you know the ceo of the company always talked or used to talk a lot about how pinterest is the harmony or the marriage of design, technology, and community. And I think that a lot of companies kind of are just like, oh, yeah, like, this is a tech company, or, like, this is a design company, or this is, like, design and tech together. But, like, the community portion is something that, like, a lot of companies don't really talk about. But, like, they're literally your users, right? And, like, it, it's, it's taking care of them and making sure that, like, every decision that you make is putting those users first. And that kind of, um, not kind of, it became one of our like I guess you could say like company mottos or like goals it's just like you always put the pinner first and like whenever you don't know what to do or whenever you're like thinking about like how this could benefit Pinterest it's like you're thinking about it wrong you should be thinking about how to put that pinner first and in doing that I think that it, it did us a lot of good I think that more than any of the other four um, like core facets of working at Pinterest we had four of them it was pit pinners first it was knit, which was kind of like work collaboratively across teams. Go, which is self-explanatory. And first, go, knit. Be authentic, which is just like make sure that you aren't like sugarcoating things. Like say the hard thing to people that are like not doing something right or being difficult or whatever. Like be authentic in like your interactions with other people, but also with, you know, users and like the products that you build. But to me, put pinners first always resonated the most because I think that it's something that a lot of companies just like try to do or say that they do, but they really don't like it, it, 
it's very rare to find a company that will like really try hard to um, kind of take care of their users and make sure that they feel like they're kind of like almost like a part of a family and less just like a pair of eyeballs, right? And that team has just like consistently been absolutely amazing at that. Um, and I think that a lot of our success is like really on them for making like figuring out how to message stuff and figuring out how to like manage uh, user expectations when things go wrong and like all sorts of stuff like that. So you have left Pinterest. Mm -hmm. I find it very interesting that you said you don't know what you're going to do next. Yep. And the way you're thinking about it is what am I going to do for the next, what was it? Five years? What am I, what am I going to do take. in five years? Where, where should I be in five years? So what does that mean to you? Is that just career wise or is that everything? I don't know. I always find that like, you'll be an Android user. Apparently. I don't know. We'll see. I do like the 6P. Um, I mean, for me, when I, when I joined Pinterest, I was like, this is a scary thing. I'm going to do the scary thing because someone I respect really thinks that I should do it. Um, and I did it and it worked out. And I kind of was taking things on a two-year time schedule. I was like, all right, I'm going to stay here for two years and see how I feel. And I stayed for two years and I saw how I felt. And I did it another two years. And then I was like, okay, cool, I'm done. Um, and one of the, one of my biggest weaknesses I think is that I deal with ambiguity really, really badly. So I was like, cool, I'm going to quit and I'm not going to plan what I'm going to do next. And that's going to force me to figure out how to deal with my ambiguity, like my ambiguity problems and like force me to figure out how to operate in a space where I don't have anything to kind of like grasp onto. Ambiguity anonymous. That's yeah. So instead of predicating <laughs> it on a strength. Like a lot of people are like trained to do. You you went for like solving a weakness. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. It's the only way that I'm going to get better at it, I think. How's it going? Pretty badly. I haven't done <laughs> anything since I left Pinterest. You went to Japan. I went to Japan, which was kind of like part of this like figuring stuff out thing for me. I DM'd you last week and I'm like, <laughs> you want to come on the show this week? And you're like, well, I'm in Fukuoka. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a, a surprise trip. Um I could literally talk for another hour about why I went to Japan, but the... Why'd the, you go to Japan? <laughs> the TLDR is that, um, I mean, I, I've studied Japanese for a really long time. I'm really interested in Japanese culture. Part of your Twitter bio is Japanese, right? Today, after today it is, yeah. After today? It, it, it just says... Is that that, like, that that soon? Yeah, I mean, it... Wow. It just said, you can, you can talk to me in Japanese. That's all it says. Um, but... A large part of it is that, like, I think that there's definitely opportunities for technology and designers there. Um, there is a... I always grew up thinking of them as, like, the technology culture. Like, I... In growing way, up in Minnesota, they were like, Japan's, like, 10 years ahead of the rest of the U.S. Like, I mean, in a way, that's true. Um, and the way that that's true is that, like, the... The, the, the U.S. The infrastructure in Japan is amazing because the government actually takes care of it. Um, <laughs> and the citizens uh, actually pay to take care of things like roads and highways and stuff like that. They give an actual fuck. They give <laughs> fucks about that stuff and it works. But, but there's other parts of Japan, like corporate culture that is like totally not up to par with America. And I think that like, there's a lot of strife and like stress and tension around like youth who don't really want to 
subscribe their entire lives to like this one company like Sony or Panasonic. The salary who, man, right? That's right, what they the call salary it. man, yeah. You've got all of this youth that don't want to work in these companies. You've got women who want to have careers and don't want to have babies, which I've means heard they the have population like goes down. A concern about like uh, young people being asexual? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's there's all sorts of stuff like that. But at the end of the day, what it means is that someone that knows how Silicon Valley works can probably go there, kind of latch on to all of the talent that like Google and Facebook made four years ago and they entered the uh, country and make something really great because the other thing is that japan is really bad at making international products now international software products um and so no more vio yeah i mean like even even the startups that are there aren't very good at like breaking into the international market and so it's just like cool like there's literally a whole bunch of stuff that's just like one after the other, just kind of like making for like almost the opportune situation for someone that can build technology products. Um, everyone's got smartphones. Everyone's got laptops. Um, there's a lot of public infrastructure that's all powered by like computers and like digital stuff. And it's great. But there are very few companies that are forward thinking enough to be able to like figure out how to make products that people both really enjoy using but also scale to an international uh platform or an international audience so one of the things i've been thinking about as what's next is like i mean the first thing that i always think about is where is what's next going to happen and so for me it's like cool it's either going to be san francisco which is like you know the benefits are there's tech people here and like there are people that if i start a thing i can hire them um and i know that they're going to be good for the most part um, and then, uh, New York, which is like where I came from. It's like, cool. I get to be close to my family, but also there's other people here and that's great. Like there are people in fashion and in finance and in, and, um, like lots of artists and like all sorts of stuff. And like rent is exorbitant, but it's not as exorbitant. Um, so there's that. And then it's like, there's <laughs> Tokyo, which is like this magical place where like, there's all of this technology, but somehow there's no technology at all. And like, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. <laughs> And so I think that the my trip was just like, how viable is this? I talked to a lot of people. Turns out it's very viable. But, you know, like, I don't know if I want to make that jump. It's really far away. Plane tickets aren't that expensive, but they're really expensive. Um, <laughs> apartments are small. I have a lot of stuff. But they're not really small. They're small. <laughs> I'm just, they're small. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, I think that. I don't know, like where I am right now, and this changes every day, is that maybe somewhere in between, maybe like pick two. You can be in both of those places at once somehow. Um, so I guess Hawaii? <laughs> I mean, not not physically. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I think that what my foreseeable future, like my immediate future is kind of freelancing. Um, I really want to work on my Twitter rant today was about like design things that matter, which is another hour long conversation. This is a series now. (laughs) You want to start Um, a podcast? I could. I'm not going to, but I could. (laughs) Um, But I think that probably like freelancing for companies that are working on things that are like civic minded or infrastructure minded or things that actually are going to make a lot of people's lives like visibly better. Like I know that those companies exist. How can I help them while I work on my own things and like the remainder of my time? So kind of like literally just like splitting it right down the middle. Because I mean, like consumer tech is cool and all, but consumer tech is literally every day becoming more the same. 
So, and I, I don't think that that's interesting. There's a lot of designers that can do that work. And I'm a little bit sad that there's so many designers that are like super eager to do that work when there's so many other wicked problems that uh, their skills could be really instrumental in solving. And I'm not talking about like solving water in Africa, but like there's a company that I know called Remix that's like working on building better tools for people like city planners to make like transportation and like if those people's lives are better then they're going to build better bus routes which means that like people in like you know not so good areas are going to be able to like get to more jobs right that kind of stuff is like literally in reach and like it's hard to find admittedly but i don't think that a lot of designers that i know necessarily would make that jump and work on that product and like there's a lot of reasons why like some of it is just like hey facebook pays really really well but I do think that, like, you know, there's there's some value in, like, leading by example. So I want to kind of try to find those things and work on them where I can to kind of, like, say, hey, designers, like, this is a thing that you can do. And, like, you can it can be just as satisfying as releasing an app that, like, millions of people are going to use, right? Because millions of people will reap the benefits one way or another, right? So for designers in similar situations, where should they start looking? Um, I think a good resource that um, I've used and I'm friends with them is the Designer Fund. Um, they're in San Francisco, uh, so like a Allen block and, away. Yeah, seriously. Um, and I was just there last night. It's great. Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're awesome. Um, they're always looking, I mean, the whole purpose of their thing is to like figure out how to get designers in places where there aren't designers. Right. And like part of that is like, you know, like the tech startups of the world. Right. But like there's, I think that more and more they're focusing more on like, how do we find like these health startups? Um, they actually, um, or one of the sources that I found about that found out about that transportation company through, but they're really friendly and like shooting them an email or like applying for a bridge is like probably a really good way to like kind of start looking at those problems. Uh, I, I think like looking at like into things like code for America, um, if you're in America, um, <laughs> you might not be, this is the internet. That's probably for the best. Yeah. But I don't know, like there, there are ways to find those things. And if not, you can always start them right yeah. like if there's a designer there's probably an engineer not too far away is that like where, where there's smoke there's fire <laughs> where there's one there is the other <laughs> um but yeah and i mean like i don't necessarily think that it's something that you'll find like it's like oh i'm gonna like do a little google search and it's like oh there's one right there they're down right, the street right um but if you keep your eyes and your ears open and you talk to people like eventually those kinds of things like every once in a while will kind of fly by and it's like, Oh, that's boring. But like, you think about it. It's like, maybe that's not that boring. Like you're literally working on something that no other designer will have worked on before. Or at least if they did, they did a really bad job at it in like the eighties. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I, I, for me, like the kind of person I am, that's kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, like working on like literally uncharted territory it also means that you're going to fuck up a lot more, but it's exciting. That's always a good thing. Yeah. It's a good thing. You'll learn from it. Yeah. Well, let's catch up again in a while, we've hopefully, got, <laughs> when you've made a decision. We've got several more hours of conversation, apparently. So Yeah, I mean, we can we can totally make this into like your, your side project. Side project. This is going to be a long-running storyline of your life. We're announcing a new <laughs> show. <laughs> it's the story of Jedmond. <laughs> it would be so boring. The Jedmond, the Jedmond saga. So boring. Hung out today. Thought about <laughs> life. Today I played some video games. <laughs> Let's, thanks for taking time to no, come Thanks back. for having me. Yeah, this was good. It's been real. That's 76. Justin was a fantastic guest. We hope you enjoyed the show. 
If you did, let us know. Leave us a review on iTunes. We love to read reviews. Hit us up on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. Or talk to us in person. We're going to be in New York this Thursday, November 12th. We had an event on Friday the 13th. Yes. Stay tuned for more details on our Twitter. That's at Design Details FM. We'll be tweeting out uh, event information and... We should have it up by the time this goes out. If we if we don't, we've failed. But there will be a limited number of spots. It is a ticket system, so just stay tuned. 70 tickets. Yes. Before we go, huge thank you once again to the two sponsors that made this episode possible. Icon Finder, back again with over 650,000 icons in their library. They are the ultimate resource to get any icon you need for whatever design project you're working on. They have every style you can imagine for your project. It's going to look great with whatever you're building, whatever you're designing. They have an icon set for you. They have a service called Icon Finder Pro. It gets you access to over 650,000 icons in their library. It starts at just nine bucks a month. But if you use the promo code design details, that'll tell them that we sent you and get you 50% off your first month. Huge thanks once again to Icon Finder. Once you download those icons, throw them in Dropbox. They can sync them across all your teams. It lets you work the way you want with any file with any device from wherever you are in the entire world so you can get out there and just design more things that's rad dropbox is a fantastic tool we use it every single day even when we're not thinking about it it's the best it is the background service that handles our entire lives and it's fantastic so go check them out get started at dropbox.com thank you one more time to dropbox for always sponsoring our show we'll see you on wednesday with drew wilson 